Section 47 of Europe Revised. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Europe Revised by Irvin S. Cobb. Chapter 23. Muckraking in Old Pompeii. It now devolves on me as a painful yet necessary duty to topple from its pedestal one of the most popular idols of legendary lore. I refer, I regret to say, to the widely famous Roman sentry of old Pompeii. Personally, I think there has been entirely too much of this sort of thing going on lately. Muckrakers, prying into the storied past, have destroyed, one after another, many of the pet characters in history. Thanks to their meddlesome activities, we know that Paul Revere did not take any midnight ride. On the night in question, he was laid up in bed with inflammatory rheumatism. What happened was that he told the news to Mrs. Revere as a secret, and she, in strict confidence, imparted it to the lady living next door, and from that point on the word travelled with the rapidity of wildfire. Horatius never held the bridge. He just let the blamed thing go. The boy did not stand on the burning deck, whence all but him had fled. He was among the first in the lifeboats. That other boy, the Spartan youth, did not have his vitals gnawed by a fox. The Spartan youth had been eating wild grapes and washing them down with spring water. Hence that gnawing sensation of which so much mention has been made. Nobody hit Billy Patterson. He acquired his black eye in the same way in which all married men acquire a black eye, by running against a door jam while trying to find the ice-water pitcher in the dark. He said so himself the next day. Even Barbara Frecci is an exploded myth. She did not nail her country's flag to the window casement. Being a female, she could not nail a flag or anything else to a window. In the first place, she would have used a wad of chewing gum and a couple of hairpins. In the second place, had she recklessly undertaken to nail up a flag with hammer and nails, she would never have been on hand at the psychological moment to invite Stonewall Jackson to shoot her old gray head. When General Jackson passed the house, she would have been in the bathroom bathing her left thumb in witch hazel. Furthermore, she did not have an old gray head. At the time of the Confederate invasion of Maryland, she was only seventeen years old. Some authorities say only seven, and a pronounced blonde. Also, she did not live in Frederick, and even if she did live there, on the occasion when the troops went through, she was in Baltimore visiting a school friend. Finally, Frederick does not stand where it stood in the sixties. The cyclone of 1884 moved it three miles back into the country and twisted the streets round in such a manner as to confuse even lifelong residents. These facts have been repeatedly proved by volunteer investigators and are not to be gainsaid. I repeat that there has been too much of this. If the craze for smashing all our romantic fixtures persists, after a while we shall have no glorious traditions left with which to fire the youthful heart at high school commencements. But in the interests of truth, and also because I made the discovery myself, I feel it to be my solemn duty to expose the Roman sentry, stationed at the gate of Pompeii looking toward the sea, who died because he would not quit his post without orders, and had no orders to quit. Until now this party has stood the acid test of centuries. Everybody who ever wrote about the fall of Pompeii, from Plutarch and Pliny the Younger, clear down to Bulwer-Lytton and Burton Holmes, had something to say about him. The lines on this subject by the Greek poet Laryngitis are familiar to all lovers of that great master of classic verse, 
and I shall not undertake to quote from them here. Suffice it to say that the Roman sentry, perishing at his post, has ever been a favorite subject for historic and romantic writers. I myself often read of him, how on that dread day when the devil's stew came to a boil, and spewed over the sides of Vesuvius, and death and destruction poured down to blight the land, he, typifying fortitude and discipline and unfaltering devotion, stood firm and stayed fast while all about him chaos reigned, and fathers forgot their children, and husbands forgot their wives, and vice versa, though probably not to the same extent, and how finally the drifting ashes and the choking dust fell thicker upon him and mounted higher about him, until he died and in time turned to ashes himself, leaving only a void in the solidified slag. I had always admired that soldier, not his judgment, which was faulty, but his heroism, which was immense. To myself I used to say, That unknown common soldier, nameless though he was, deserves to live forever in the memory of mankind. He lacked imagination, it is true, but he was game. It was a glorious death to die, painful yet splendid. Those four poor wretches, whose shells were found in the prison under the gladiator's school, with their ankles fast in the iron stocks, I know why they stayed. Their feet were too large for their own good. But no bonds except his dauntless will bound him at the portals of the doomed city. Duty was the only chain that held him. And to think that centuries and centuries afterward they should find his monument, a vacant, empty mold in the piled-up pumice. Had I been in his place, I should have created my vacancy much sooner, say, about thirty seconds after the first alarm went in. But he was one who chose rather that men should say, how natural he looks, then yonder he goes. And he has my sincere admiration. When I go to Pompeii, if I ever do go there, I shall seek out the spot where he made the supremest sacrifice to authority that ever any man could make, and I shall tarry a while in those hallowed precincts. That was what I said I would do, and that was what I did do that afternoon at Pompeii. I found the gate looking toward the sea, and found all the other gates, or the sights of them, but I did not find the Roman sentry, nor any trace of him, nor any authentic record of him. I questioned the guides, and, through an interpreter, the curator of the museum, and from them I learned the lamentably disillusioning facts in this case. There is no trace of him, because he neglected to leave any trace. Doubtless there was a sentry on guard at the gate when the volcano belched forth, and the skin of the earth flinched and shivered and split asunder, but he did not remain for the finish. He said to himself that this was no place for a minister's son, and so he girded up his loins and he went away from there. He went away hurriedly, even as you and I. End of section 47